Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. For exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at Patreon.com slash Partners in Crime Media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, a cult leader said she would ascend to the stars upon her death. It's what her followers did with her body that got attention. We'll discuss HBO's Love Has Won, The Cult of Mother God. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of These Are Their Stories podcast, My Husband and Love of My Life, Father God, Kevin Flynn. Hi, Kevin. Blessed be unto you, Rebecca. Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of The Final Curtain, Laura Bricker. Hi, Laura. Hey, Rebecca. I'm next to one of my cats taping from home today who is so hungry that he is eating little morsels off the floor next to his bowl because he might die during this taping. All right, so we might hear some cat. Is that what we're hearing? You might hear some cat because he's nearing the starvation. (laughs) <laughs> Dude, you're gonna have to make like a quick exit to open a, a thing of meow no, mix or he doesn't eat this early but see he's seeing me here so he's thinking he's supposed to eat so uh, he's like doing the whole like look how pathetic i am and i'm dying thing you're not you're fine uh, you know that he's not just like super hungry every single day <laughs> he's always hungry she doesn't mean the cat's actually gonna die people don't don't write oh, in really? don't yeah. add us yeah, don't add us Figuratively speaking here. And finally, our captain of all things cynical, the author of the City Trilogy of Novels, host of Strange Arrivals, and our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast, Toby Ball. Hi, Toby. Hello, Rebecca. Don't you mean Archangel Toby? Archangel. Hello, Mom. (laughs) Or Commander Budo. (laughs) Mom. Commander Budo. I definitely want to be Commander Budo. I want to know who's on my poster. Who is on my poster? Oh, I don't know. Who's yeah. in Who's in this week's uh, issue of Glamour? Who's in my brigade? Yeah, well, uh, it's got to be it's got to be like Dan Taberski and yeah, oh, yeah sure. Oh, it's like that, people like that. It's like that thing you made with the uh, Sergeant Pepper's cover. <laughs> it's supposed yeah, to yeah, be yeah, dead exactly. people, though, right? It was all dead people. Madeline Barron is really pissed at you. Donald yeah. Trump was on it though. <laughs> Madeline Barron's so angry <laughs> that you've made me eggs instead of French toast, like I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> so Kevin, people have no idea what we're talking about. Maybe they do. That's so Kevin, uh, this is Monday's podcast, is. Monday's edition of Crime Writers On. What's coming up on Thursday's edition of the show? Thursday, we're going to be talking about the new podcast from the CBC. It's called Gay Girl Gone. Okay. Um, so I just got a really interesting piece of feedback on our review of Ghost Story that I wanted to share with you guys. Okay. It, no, is it from Hugh Dancy? No, no, okay. no. no. <laughs> Maybe we'll hear from him before this podcast comes out. So first of all, somebody put something, this is on our subreddit, the Crime Writers on subreddit. Mm-hmm. Somebody, first of all, there's two very funny comments. One person put, uh, this is from user Sad Sack Sturdy Birdie said, I'm embarrassed. After listening to Crime Writers on and hearing the word fabulous used several times, I had to look it up. I've only heard it used to describe George Santos, and I thought it was about his extra personality and over-the-top <laughs> style, not his lies over which there are legion. For those who are also confused, and I hope I'm not alone, here is the definition of fabulous. 
a person who composes or relates fables, a liar, especially a person who invents elaborate, dishonest stories. I love it. I love it. You know, you like don't know a word mm-hmm. and you hear it. Anyway, so that was one comment. That makes me think that they should have called the whole podcast absolutely fabulous. Yeah. <laughs> That's very good. <laughs> uh, another comment is that this is from the uh, both things can be true category of um, about the podcast. Tristan Redmond's in-laws are justifiably upset and also kind of shitty people. (laughs) 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 They're 100% right that Tristan's goal could have been to upset their entire family history for profit. For one thing, reviewing evidence obtained using 1937 forensic techniques to solve a murder has the same logical credibility as using a medium, exactly zero. He was never going to solve the murder that way, and anything less than uncovering evidence that Father, Father, Father was the killer or that his life story wasn't true would have made a crummy podcast. He wasn't going into this endeavor thinking, if I can find evidence corroborating the police's conclusions or anything about Father's life story is true, that would make a great podcast. No, he suspected it was bullshit and set out to prove it to his wife's family, who are, after all, sort of crappy people, for literally forgetting about the amazing woman whose life achievements they could actually take pride in. No one's a good guy in this podcast, but I did enjoy it. So that's the, that's the uh, both things can be true feedback. And I just wanted to share those comments from our listeners. Anyway, thank you guys. And please feel free to use our Crime Raiders on subreddit to have further discussions about our shows or our Crime Raiders on Facebook discussion group. We're really enjoying interacting with listeners both places. And as always, both things can be true. Sure. <laughs> okay. Well, speaking of weird stuff, I think it's time to talk about the thing that we're going to be talking about. Shall we get to it, Kevin? Let's do it. Let's go ahead and drop that first clip right now. Leading off. So they traveled across, I believe it's five state lines, with a dead body wrapped in a sleeping bag and Christmas lights in the back of an SUV. In 2021, police in Oregon discovered the mummified corpse of Amy Carlson. Her body had been transported and adorned by the members of her small cult, Love Has Won. The woman they called Mother God had been emaciated and her skin had turned blue. Someone like Faith, you know, still thought we were going to heal her and that she was going to, like, feel better in this physical body. But me and Aurora were just hopeful, you know, she would reach ill health and then, you know, the Galactics would just pick her up, you know, before she got to a place where she, you know, what we see as death. Her followers believed Carlson was the reincarnation of Joan of Arc and Marilyn Monroe and communed with a group of galactics led by dead celebrities like Robin Williams and John Lennon. The cult sustained itself through online donations and selling, quote, miracle cures as new leaders anointed by Mother God sowed internal strife. Was it her very practices and beliefs that led to her failing health and eventual death? She said she didn't know what else to do except maybe like go to a hospital. But, you know, most of the time the galactics tell her no. You know, it's not us. If mom really wanted to go to a hospital, we would surrender to it. From HBO documentaries, the series Love Has Won, The Cult of Mother God, examines Carlson's rise as spiritual guru and her conspiracy-laced convictions. It features interviews with her followers in the immediate days after her death, still enthralled with her dogma. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from Love Has Won. So if you want to remain spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. Now, Laura, there is an, quite the opening scene in this documentary, is there not? Yeah, um, it's a good thing that my neighbors didn't hear me because I was watching this opening scene where you go into the bedroom and you think it might be a doll. And then you realize, actually, no, it is mummified 
Mother God. She's got like glitter makeup on. There's Christmas lights. It's in her bedroom. And they go in and I was just like, ah! What we've got is a search warrant. Check this house. Okay. I'm here to see Mother and I need to check on the child. Okay, child's sleeping. Okay. Mother hear that? is in breast. Okay. She has rested. I was like, it was just so fucking creepy. And because they were waiting for her to ascend. And I think that opening scene right there where you see somebody who's dead, we don't know how long she's been dead um, because they've been waiting for this like rapture or whatever's going to happen, kind of sets up this whole documentary in that, you know, this is going to be some wackiness and some very unique cult behavior that we're going to learn about. But that opening scene, I mean, she just looked so like you do a double take and then you realize that's actually a dead person. Yeah. I'm confused by the word mummify. They keep using that word, but she's just dead, right? She's just she's just a 12 day old dead body. Well, but she was so skinny because she lost so much weight that like it was like maybe that like contributed to her looking more mummified or something. I was confused about the lack of decomp at this body. I was just very confused about it. Anyone have any thoughts about that? Well, that's. Just proves their point. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> well, she's filled with all sorts of heavy metals. That's true. So <laughs> and booze. I think that <laughs> the booze basically embalmed her. She was yeah. already there. Actually, there actually might be something to that. I mean, one of the things that really struck you, Kevin, right away is that the documentarian seemed to be there like immediately, right? Yeah, I mean, they're saying like you know, it was three weeks after her body was discovered, which was what, like ten days or a ten or eleven or twelve after, days, yeah, yeah, after she passed. Yeah, so I mean, I think it starts off with some like really like Laura says some jaw dropping reveals. You know, we see the video of her body, but like they start getting into the explanations about how dead celebrities are part of their you know their religious hierarchy, and then like they bring out you know father of creation that dude, and it's like what the actual fuck's going on here? But I think. <laughs> Beside the shocking reveals, I don't think there's a lot left here in this documentary, um, and I'll get into my thoughts on that as we go along. But what about the fact that these people are still in it? Well, I mean, this is actually one of the interesting things about this particular documentary. It's that you're talking to all the, you know, the, all these people for all intents and purposes, they're still in the cult. Even they're just leaderless. So there are no apostates. It's not like, you know, you come back years later and then some people are out of it and they're explaining their their motivations. It just it gives us the most direct path into the mind of any cult. I think that we've seen in a doc or at least that I can remember. There was that one stolen youth earlier in this year where we saw is like see somebody like kind of realize like in that moment when she starts to realize that, oh, shit, I was in a cult. But the promise is nobody pushing back on anything the people are saying. And so everything kind of goes unchallenged. And that ends up like leaving a real lack of context and other problems that I have. Hmm. But Toby, you can't deny that these people have an awful lot of footage of themselves doing pretty much everything, right? Yeah, well, I'll let Kevin explain <laughs> Flynn's Law before I go into this any further. No, you can explain Flynn's Law. Come on. Well, we've got the man himself right here. Oh, it's like the amount of cult you are is equivalent to the amount of video you've taken Directly of yourself. Directly proportional Directly to Directly proportional, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so they've decided that they want to live stream like every second. So I, I don't know how you beat that. Yeah, I mean, there's an amazing amount of footage. And I, I can only imagine the amount they had to go through to sift it down to get what they have. I mean, I think, you know, one of the interesting things about this cult, I don't think it's unique to them, but it's certainly something I haven't like actually seen a documentary about is how they utilize the Internet almost exclusively to get their story out. Right. They're not going and proselytizing to people or whatever. They're on the Internet 
like even their sort of, you know, engagement with individuals uh, seems like it's over, you know, Zoom or, or Skype or whatever. And they're like, oh, you know, come to our place. You know, everybody's welcome. And then sometimes, you know, occasionally somebody will actually come. So, yeah, I mean, there's just a, a, a ton, a ton of stuff, including, you know, moments that I think like I don't think Keith Ranieri would show himself like desperately ill in a hot tub, you know, covered only by like a towel over the water and stuff. I mean, she's despite the fact that she's God, apparently she does not shrink from showing herself as very weak and vulnerable at times. In a lot of ways, she doesn't really seem other than that. People kind of take commands from her and sort of venerate her sort of in theory. She doesn't really seem that much different from anybody else. Right. I mean, she's hanging out, partying with everybody and she's got this crazy laugh that she does. I mean, she's just, I don't know. It, it can, feels can you drop like a, a clip little... of her laugh there, Kevin? <laughs> I have found father and father. <laughs> no making she's fun like, of women's laughs, Toby. Come on. <laughs> you mean her no, she's like, but it's like insane. Like it, it, it feels. You get to an interesting point. And this is what I, I mean, first of all, I will say one thing the documentary does not get into a lot because I did my own little research. They, they like it. They touch it. They don't get really far into how deep into the um, QAnon rabbit hole this call yeah, went. Yeah. And they're like yeah. sort of pro-Nazi, pro-QAnon stuff. They actually they actually did espouse a lot of that really, really banana stuff. But one thing that you sort of touch on too, Toby, is, is why are they following this woman? Because unlike Keith, I mean, Keith Raniere, I hate him. But, you know, you can admit that, like, there are moments you see him playing the piano, you see him talking people's ear off, you see him doing whatever. And Amy, it's just everyone's talking about how great she is. Like, that's what we get is everybody talking about how great she is. But, like, we don't really see any evidence of her charisma, I, I don't think, particularly in the in the documentary. Do you, know, you know what I mean? Yeah. It, for me, that's what's missing, right? It's like, why, why did people follow her? Because it's not even like, like, with Keith Raniere, at least, like... You know, he's saying things that everybody else isn't saying until he says them. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's the way this thing works. And oh, it's brilliant. And I, I can kind of go from here. She's saying the exact same stuff that everybody else is saying. It's all this weird sort of new age type things. And it's stuff that, you know, you can run across other places. It's not sort of unique to her. So it's not really clear. Like, especially like that Australian woman who shows up and she's like a healer and stuff. And she's been elsewhere. Like, I was trying to wrap my head around why is she sort of glomming on to this? Because it seems as though, what what is she getting out of it? I, I didn't quite understand, like, why she would buy into it the way she did. And Laura, you know, unlike in um, uh, any of the Nexium stuff, do you think that you could articulate what their beliefs and dogma actually are? No, and I think that's what you're getting. And that's what Toby's getting they at believe too. In her. Is like, they believe in her. Like that's Well, they it. believe, I think my takeaway was like, okay, they're like supporting when the galactics or whoever suck her up. And I mean, and I described, it, I mean, they're basically just like enabling like severe alcoholism and drug, you know, mm -hmm. use in a way that was. And mental illness for sure. And mental illness. But it was like, I couldn't understand why. So what do they think is going to happen to them if they support her in her ascension, are they going to also then get priority boarding to get zapped up? Like, what is 
their end goal. Do you know what I mean? Or like, what is their benefit that they're taking from just being around her? Because I, first of all, I don't understand. I mean, I know they're supporting themselves through these sales, but I'm like, how are they making enough money to live, let alone take trips to Hawaii? Live on the beach in Hawaii. Yeah. Like who's supporting them? (laughs) Well, well, Laura, the reason I ask is because I don't, I'm not faulting mother God for having an incoherent uh, dogma. I'm faulting the documentarians for really not explaining to the audience in a way that we can understand because we're all sitting here with these questions about how are they really financing all this? What do they really mean? Who's fucking who? It's like they're not even interested in that. They're just basically giving a platform for some people who are hot out of a a cult that they, you know. Still in a cult. They're still in the cult. Still, you know, referring to some referring some to text on the screen would have been helpful, present, right? Yes, some yeah. cards, anything. Yeah. You know, that's my big criticism of it. Yeah. And that kind of feeds in all the other problems I have with it. Yeah. Without getting too historical about it, like it, it is kind of like it's a mystery cult. That's goes back to, you know, the Roman Empire or whatever, where it's like we have this secret about, you know, the future of mankind or how to save mankind or whatever. And it's it's kept within a few people and there's one person who's sort of, you know, the person who espouses it and everybody else kind of follows and depends upon to sort of reveal things. And, you know, I think there's a psychological thing about wanting to be involved in that and being like one of the elect. Like the disciples. Right, right. So in so, some of the people, it seemed to make sense. I mean, there, there are a few people here who clearly had lives that included like severe abuse and stuff. One of them talks about it. A couple others just kind of feels like from watching them, they've had a rough go in some way or the other. I can see why being in a situation where you feel as though you have sort of knowledge and you're in a small, the only little small group that sort of understands what's actually going on in the world, which is why I just found it interesting that the Australian woman who doesn't seem to have any of these things and seems to be kind of making her own way in this sort of new age environment kind of gloms onto them. I, I couldn't, the psychology of it for her didn't seem as clear to me as the psychology of it for some other people. And it's not to, I mean, this kind of thing has been going on for like literally thousands of years. So it's not like new in that sense, but it is kind of new in, you know, the internet. I guess it's really the only thing that seemed very different for me. You can get colloidal silver or whatever the hell that is that they were all <laughs> gung ho about. I mean, it's all, the, it's all the same, you know, it's like, don't trust modern medicine. You know, all you need is colloidal silver and to get your energies like rearranged in the right way. And then as Rebecca was saying, they just very quickly do it. But at one point you see that where we go on, we go all little thing on one of their like cards or something. I was like, oh shit, there's QAnons involved in this too. But it's all this like, you know, it's a secret knowledge and that like what the real world, you know, quote unquote, real world is all fake. And so you can't believe that stuff. And we're the people who understand that it is fake. And that's why we're the 3D you know, the elect yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And they're kind of hinting at like the way they're going to reveal this on, on YouTube. And, and that's how like they, they do it. And they're like making their money by selling stuff. And they actually made a whole bunch of money on Patreon. Oh, they did not. Yes. That's where they gave away the secrets. <laughs> they did not. They, that's where we give away our secrets. Well, we don't have the secret to life. We are going to give Patreon, away our but, secrets on Patreon. 
I, should we though? That's what we do. We give our secrets away. That's where we do the stuff in pets. That's like our champagne room. That's where we do stuff that it, it is, is like, like our special champagne access. Room. Yeah, yeah. We do. We sometimes have gatherings of the members of our cult, and I say cult with a wink and a nod. However, I think if I started a cult, I think some of you guys would have come along. Me. No, I'm talking to Elizabeth. So you know who you are. Some of you would have come along the to the cult. The ones I sent the hats to. Yes. <laughs> now you guys have the hats. Uh, so if you join us at patreon.com slash partners in crime media, you get all sorts of great stuff. Want to let folks know in Patreon, next Monday on the 18th, we're going to have our annual holiday party. CWO Patreon holiday party. We're going to come up on Crowdcast, come up on the screen. We're going to drink a little eggnog or whatever. Talk about some holiday wishes toast we're gonna have our patrons there and we're gonna share should we uh, dress better than we're dressed right now well yes you'll be able to see how we're dressed I'm i don't know a, for yourself, picture. Rebecca. kevin and i look like we're living like the backwoods of vermont right now well and this like, could like also the be way. this also could be a you know a way to to dress when uh, you're entertaining for the holidays other great stuff though you get at patreon is the creme writers on after show this week we're gonna have some podcast updates we're gonna talk about the news out of S-Town and the death of Tyler Goodson, who you remember uh, from S-Town. And also, Rebecca is going to weigh in on uh, all the giant layoffs at Spotify and what that might mean for the future of the things that you, fair listener, might be tuning into. Also, we've got some great stuff like uh, Laura Bricker's Leave It to Bricker podcast, on which Laura, the latest one, is uh, writing with the help of some of our friends. A holiday romance movie. In which Lara falls in love, Hallmark movie style. <laughs> and and they're has- my friends now. They came to my event this week, some of these people that wrote the story. So now we're having mm-hmm. a crossover episode. Oh, great. Mm-hmm. She's friends mm-hmm. with Karen Brad now. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. World's best Brad. The funniest part was I was at this event and I said, oh, I was introducing them to somebody in my town I thought they would like. And actually, it turned out that Brad knew this person already, but they carried on for five minutes pretending they were just introduced. It was very amusing. Uh, That's why he's the world's best Brad. Not going to embarrass anybody. Yeah, we also have other exclusive podcasts like Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcast. And we have our Married with Podcast podcast in which Rebecca and I dish out life advice to folks on the next Married with Podcast episode coming up. We're going to answer a question from a woman whose husband has a friend that died by suicide and he needs help. He's definitely suffering, but she's having trouble getting him to take the help. And so... We're going to try to help her help him. All right. Sometimes Married with Podcast gets deep. It does get deep. It does. Get all that just by joining us at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. All right, Kevin, does thus end the business section? Thus ends. Unless you want to buy some colloidal silver. Yes. Or sign up for our newsletter, which is free. Sign up for our newsletter, crimewriterson.com. It's free. You get it on Thursdays, except for last week where I got busy and you got it on Friday. And there's going to be a picture of our outfits in it this week, so... Anyway, CrimeWritersOn.com. I'm going to go ahead and fade that music out right now. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney Bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. So, Lara, we talked about them in the beginning of the show, the Galactics. 
All of the dead celebrities that are apparently sort of like the archangels of this cult. An interesting bunch, you think? Yeah, I mean, I think that was particularly interesting. I loved that, like, Robin Williams was the leader of the Galactics, and they routinely chatted with him, had, like, conferences with him, watched movies with him, because that's another way. I don't know if we're all in the uh, Galactic crew together. We've got Michael Jackson. It's kind of a random ragtag bunch. Gene Wilder, Christopher Reeve, Tupac, Kenny Rogers, John Lennon. Every person in this picture is no longer alive, but they're on mom's etheric team. Carrie Fisher. Elvis is actually mom's son. Oh, Trump. <laughs> well, he's in the physical, but still, he's on the team. Oh, uh, John Lennon, that's Ashtar. He's the command of the, the main starship. Usually we hear about like some sort of like a spiritual guru or like somebody like we're following this idea, like, like hail bop is coming and we're going to get like bopped up with hail bop. But like the fact that Robin Williams is sending messages is um, really kind of makes this one stand out to me. And then so basically she cut out photos of people from magazines and then pasted them on cardboard like a fifth grade book <laughs> report audiovisual aid and then carry the fucking thing around with them all over the country like it's the Torah. <laughs> they're like, well, here it is. Whoop, and they pull it out. And they're and like, they, and they kept it on an old school bus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. Just, it's weird. It's just, I, you know, I think it's just not a very smart kind of cult. It just really felt like. So here's the thing. Yeah. I found myself wondering watching this, aren't they like just, Kind of, I mean, granted, they believe some harmful things. They believe some very harmful things. But aren't they sort of just some harmless? I asked their dead leader. Well, I'm saying they believe some harmful things. She died because of all the harmful things they believe. And thus, they believe some horrible QAnon things. However, they live in the middle of the woods. It seems like all the people that are in it continue to have relationships with their family now or whatever. I mean, how is this different than a bunch of teenagers what? living in a house together being like awful? Rebecca, you know how you sometimes say both things can be true? Yeah. Tell me what do That's you think? Not, this is not one of those times. Tell me what do you think? I mean, part of me is sort of just like, I hate to say live and let live. <laughs> but part of me, little part of me was like, can we just kind of let these people live and let live? Because... Can't we? I mean, I don't. I don't know. I might just be completely off well, base. Well, it's here. not like they're branding people. No, but there like, are other people out there that turned blue. Remember, they are putting people's health at danger. That's true. But there's there's a lot of people who do that. Though. Sure. Yeah. You know, I mean, you can get. They're not the only purveyors of colloidal silver, or or who think. I mean, they even bring it up in the documentary that that's a a not unusual sort of new agey idea that you can. I mean, I think she, <laughs> Amy herself, seems to take in quite a bit of colloidal silver. Yes. Um, you don't see anyone else taking any of it. Just her. But it's because it's associated with all these kind of strange religious beliefs, I think, that people get upset about, you know, this lifestyle that, that's not particularly, you know, healthy or conventional. But in all honesty, compared to a lot of other stuff, which is absolutely let go and condone and you know it's a free country let them do what they want they're not out on the streets they don't have kids involved they don't you know it, it's basically a fairly small self-contained unit that has strange ideas about stuff but aren't super aggressive in marketing it to other people 
And even the stuff that they do market to other people is stuff that those people can find elsewhere. And I, I mean, I think that's kind of the part of the issue for them is, is, is sort of effectively marketing. And some of the stuff is just like, it's like candles. It's like, whatever. They seem to have this like uh, surprise box business where like, you never know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and surprise. you know, her favorite flavor of popsicle of the week or, you know, whatever the hell it is. Um, Which is why so, it, when Jason becomes father God, we have to talk about Jason. Yeah. Because they're super chill and Jason is not. I heard mom once. That was it. An actual physicality through the internet, you see. Yet I was already aware that the Matrix was real and that everyone was being enslaved, of course, already before I even went. He brings some weird masculine energy into a uh, situation <laughs> where there's not a whole lot of weird masculine energy. Right. I mean, her first father god is this real hippie guy, real hippie old, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. old. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We Older than me. <laughs> you can't stress how old <laughs> that this was. Guy White is. Eagle. Yes, the visual of her marrying this guy. I was like, oh my god, is she marrying that guy? <laughs> was amazing. But then she sort of goes she to dust him off. Every she night. goes to this progression of dudes, and then Jason comes in. Laura, what did you think about Jason's um, energy? <laughs> it was a little bit frantic. Um, so no, I mean it's definitely the rest of them are all just like super chill, and they're all just like mother this and mother that, and that guy was like just over the top. I mean, his energy did come into use when she got to the point that she couldn't walk anymore and she couldn't get around. He had a lot of energy to carry her to the beach, to the bathroom, to the hot tub, to the bed, to wherever. But it didn't seem to match with the rest of the vibe of that particular group. But it was like he became, it seemed like he almost became more energized by his title and his affiliation with her to the point that it was, you know, that sort of egomaniac side of his personality started to come out that I, I didn't feel like that with her. I felt like she was just kind of like spreading her word and he, he really took it to a different level, but you know, very different from white Eagle who they used to just talk about the Ascension and you know, their higher consciousness and like hippy dippy sort of things that you would think they would be talking about. Not yeah. like, I, I, the sex component of this is interesting because there mm. is this very matriarchal mm -hmm. um, model here, right? Where she goes through partners and has multiple partners. I guess. Yes, that's what they said. Like she has but the yeah. fathers and then she switches out and she has multiple partners and she's a deeply sexual person who, and Jason is the ultimate final father God. And he's the but most like, aggro of all of them. Yeah, that. but like a lot of this, they kind of touch on that and then don't provide it any more context or to th what are we supposed to know about that? Because I think a lot of what the sexual dynamics among the group members is, is not explored here. Anytime we, ha we have seen a co-ed cult, certainly a bunch of people that are living in close proximity, who's having sex with whom becomes important, not because like we're sex fixated, but that ends up explaining a lot about their beliefs, about who's controlling who, whose motivations are what, who's in control, you know, who's in power. And if they're all asexual, that's also very fascinating. But they, I mean, other than the fact that we know that she has slept with some people, whatever that might mean. We don't get much more of that. And I think that there just seems to be overall a lack of curiosity about some of the finer points of uh, the, this living arrangement. Yeah. I mean, the other thing that is interesting to me is that she's painted, I think, after her death. And I think during, you know, her 
her family obviously is very upset that she's, you know, abandoned her kids and so forth. And there is this sort of temptation, I think, in looking at some of the coverage of this that I looked at to she's sort of painted as this evil woman who abandoned her kids and was like sort of lustful. And, you know, Toby, I think I think the fact that she's a woman cult leader, I mean, is, you know, the cults that we've covered with the woman is usually the number two, right? <laughs> not the number one. Mm-hmm. I just think that there's an interesting dynamic here. I'm curious about your thoughts about the sort of involvement of her family in this and that you see they go to Dr. Phil, for instance, to like sort of try to reach her. As I mean, one does. As one does. Right, Toby? Yeah, I mean... I. <sighs> and she fucking loves Dr. Phil. She's a fan. She loves Dr. Phil. I mean, I think, you know, I, I think her family can read, understands sort of the... I, I don't know quite how to describe it, but maybe the sort of media environment in which she grew up or whatever, like under, understand what, what she finds as as authoritative. And I think you can also see that in the galactics in that it's like these sort of... It's all these pop culture figures. It's not like she has like... Einstein and you know whatever Gandhi up there yeah yeah it's just like you know it's John Denver and you know so it's it's like this very sort of pop culture fixed group of celestials I guess I I guess I get that about her I mean that's one of the things I mean it's hard like we're talking about all the stuff that isn't that isn't in here that they don't address right and they clearly just had a ton of visual data that they had to figure out what do we want to put forward and you know they made some choices and choices that you know i i agree with you that weren't as sort of revealing about things as they could have been i mean they they spend very very little time on her childhood, which I think is like kind of critical. The idea that she was living with her father and the stepmother and the stepmother really hated her natural mother and was taking it out on Amy and that she would be forced into a closet. And then they kind of yada, 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 what would happen in the closet. So, you know, she's coming from a situation of abuse as well. I was also struck by the fact that the mom wouldn't go and visit her as she was dying because she was scared to go. It just kind of speaks to a strange sort of relationship she had with her family, starting with just up and leaving and leaving her kids behind and stuff. So, you know, there was probably a lot more there that they could have gotten into that they didn't because it seems like a pretty bold move uh, or extreme move to do that. And I think what you were saying, Rebecca, about sort of the multiple sexual partners and stuff like that. I mean, it's interesting because it's more like the males that you've seen and you think about women cult leaders who are well-known is like, you know, the shakers who are celibate. I mean, there's just not a ton. No. One of the things that struck me, Laura, is that Amy, you know, grew up in a situation where she felt unloved, right? Rejected by her stepmother and father. As a young woman, she had a series of serial relationships where she, you know, had a number of kids quite young. I sort of felt like this love-seeking vibe from her. And then she eventually founds a cult in which the whole cult is about loving her. And it's it's very deeply sad, And it's deeply sad, I think, especially when you meet her kids and then their whole thing is like our mother didn't love us. Yeah, it's there's there is a lot. And I think, you know, one of the things I said about this is, you know, this this is really a case study in mental illness and alcoholism and enabling. But it's done in a way that I felt empathy when I was watching this for her situation because it was very sad. It was like, here's this woman who comes from this background that's very not loving, like you said, 
who creates her own world, but in doing so, does the same thing to her children that she's trying to correct in herself. And so it was just kind of tragic. I mean, this this whole story to me was a tragedy uh, because I agree with you, Rebecca. Like, I don't think this is like a cult, like where I'm like, oh my God, this is like this cult where I can't believe all these people did this. It's just kind of like a sad cult to me in the way that they traveled around and just sort of propped her up and- that dynamic that she was creating was, like you said, it was really reflective of where she came from, but it was also misguided in a way that was was very heartbreaking. All right, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out Love Has Won, The Cult of Mother God? It's a documentary series on HBO Max. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Love Has Won? I'm going thumb sideways on this. So I'm glad it was only three episodes. I thought it was a really interesting cult. I always love when we have a ton of cult footage because that sort of gives us a window into what it was like actually being there when things were happening. It was pretty unique in terms of the the mummified part was pretty shocking. What I struggled with with this was context because we had one lens primarily that we were seeing a lot through, which were these cult members. And I needed a little bit more context about what was really going on and maybe a little bit more pushback on that and a little bit more context about sort of the bigger picture here. It was interesting. And, you know, I think there's flaws in it, but it was something where I was like, huh, okay. Well, that was another interesting cult to add to the mixture of cults that we learn about on this show. So thumb sideways. Tell you about what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for love has won. The thing about this cult is that they seems as though they recorded like everything. And I think they talk at one point about sort of having this goal of live streaming everything that happens all the time. So the filmmaker must've just had so much stuff to go through and so many decisions to make about where time was spent and, and what to accentuate and what not to accentuate. And so I think part of what, when I was watching this, I was like, so what, like what is a filmmaker trying to say here or what, what are they trying to show about this group of people? And I think part of the, the failure of it maybe is that it's not super clear what you're supposed to make of everything. You know, I agree with Laura and I, I kind of feel like this is maybe a recurring theme among us, which is that there's just not much context given or, or anything interpretation or just, any kind of thing other than just showing a lot of them doing their things and put in a way that you kind of have this narrative of sort of these events that happen over time. That being said, like the access is pretty insane. You, you see people at their best. You see the people at their most vulnerable, including the leader. So I, you know, I guess I'm a mild thumbs up just because I don't think We've had a situation where we've had this much footage that's not curated by a person who's in charge of the cult, uh, like, say, Keith Raniere. And so that in itself is sort of interesting. I just kind of feel like a little more thought could have been put into actually making this documentary so you could take away something beyond whatever your sort of visceral reaction to their behaviors was. So I'm a mild thumbs up. Kevin Flynn. Yeah, I think the cult is interesting, but I think this is a bad documentary. As Laura Bricker would say, why now? And it just seems way too soon, at least for their their filming, whether it's like, you know, less than a month after their leader has died and they're giving 
just an unchallenged platform for the cult members and providing almost no editorial context uh, for some of the stuff. I, I look at the Wikipedia page brought a lot more interesting facts that were out there and kind of said, oh, make you say, boy, they really glossed over that and didn't go into that. And I think that that's a bad sign. There's one. It's a difference between having a light editorial hand and taking your hand off the wheel altogether to sort of let's let the viewer decide what's up. You can't tell them what to think, but you really need to tell them what to think about. And Love Has One did not do that. So that's why I'm thumbs down. I am a thumbs up mildly. I liked it, I think, more than you all did. I think the audience is smart enough to not need a lot of direction to get to where they need to be with this documentary. I'm not an enthusiastic thumbs up, mostly because I do think we needed some cards to point to some of the more hardcore uh, beliefs that these people had. But I just think that sort of the actually the rapid access right after this happened was actually very interesting and fresh and new. Like some of the Nexium documentary did this, especially in part two, like right as things were being taken down and so forth. And that was sort of some sort of interesting footage. But kind of getting like viscerally inside of these compounds where these people lived and sort of being with them as they had these internal discussions about this cult leader and the circumstances in which she was um, experiencing. I mean, it's right in the first five minutes of documentary and the final days of her life. I mean, I guess we can just say it. I mean, there's just some interesting stuff in here. And the reason why I'm giving it a thumbs up is because while I don't disagree with a lot of what Kevin just said, I keep telling people to watch this. I'm like, oh my God, there's this bananas thing on HBO that you should check out. So That's literally your job is to I'm tell people telling, to watch. If yeah. I'm telling people that they should check it out because it's bananas, like I can't say a thumbs down, right? Because that's, that's what I'm doing. Right. So yeah, so it's a mild thumbs up for me for this. I just think it's bananas and um, interesting and the characters are wild and I've never seen a cult thing, anything like this before. And I found myself asking a lot of questions about the spectrum of harm of cults. And that's what this documentary raised for me. So that's where I am on it. Thumbs up, but mildly so. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast. A little something I like to call the crime, crime of the week. Crime of the week. Police in Lexington, Kentucky are looking for the people who took out Santa Claus in a drive-by shooting. Donald Nelson had just put up a giant inflatable Santa in his front yard when he heard a bang and found Kris Kringle crumpled on his lawn. When he checked out his security camera, he saw a car turn around in his cul-de-sac, heard the shot, and then watched Santa bite the dust. Police aren't laughing. Sure, just about anyone can hit a 12-foot balloon from three yards away, but that bullet could have passed through a house and injured someone inside. The shooting has generated lots of media attention, but few leads. Nelson says his neighbors have offered to sew up the 18-inch gap in St. Nick, but he's concerned because there are lots more inflatable reindeer, snowmen, and gingerbread houses that could be future targets for these assassins. Panel, this drive-by could start a gang war. What will Santa's crew do to retaliate? Laura Bricker, what do you think? I'm going with flaming reindeer poop on the front <laughs> step. Yeah. Okay. What do you think, Toby? What will Santa's crew do to retaliate in this gang war? Well, I had the same freaking answer that Bricker had. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to happen. All right. So I don't know. I was like, <laughs> can you oh deliver God. it better? 
What do you think, Kevin? <laughs> I, no, I can't. That's <laughs> for sure. What do you think, Kevin? I think it's going to have one of those snowball fight ambushes like in Elf. Uh-huh. Where I'm just going, like that. Well, I don't have an answer to this one because I don't know. But I guess that's going to do it for us. But Laura Bricker, if folks want to reach out to you and find out how you were able to psychically divine Toby Ball's answer to that question, how can they find you online? Well, clearly it's because I've subscribed to the Toby Ball cult of something. <laughs> and <laughs> I can read his thoughts now because I a bunch of silver. And if you want to talk more about that, you can find me at Laura Bricker on Twitter. And Toby Ball, folks want to find out the answer that you come up with an hour from now. How can they find you on social media? At <laughs> uh, Toby Ball and H. What about you, Kevin? How can you be found? I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. If you want to follow me everywhere on all the apps, mostly Twitter or Instagram, though, you can find me at Reb Lavoie. You can also follow the show everywhere at Crime Writers On, but I encourage you to join our incredible community and our official Crime Writers On Facebook group. It's the best place to hang out with fans and with us. Just go to our regular Facebook page, hit join the group, answer a question or two, and we'll let you in. Get episodes early and ad-free at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You'll get all the stuff we make back there, including the Crime Writers on After Show, Married with Podcast, Laura Bricker's Leave it to Bricker Podcast, and Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club Podcasts. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the wonderful Livy Burdett, who lives in Spain now, by the way. The executive producer of this fine program is Kevin Flynn. This show was recorded in the Treehouse Yoga Studio above the Mockingbird Cafe in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi Studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our New Hampshire basement where we also receive galactic messages from Robin Williams about what to make for dinner. Shepherd's Pod, bitches! On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later. We have a Camry, and Deborah gets in, she's like, oh my God, this thing smells so bad. I'm like, it just smells like a car. And feet. Like, I don't know. What happened to your Prius? No, my Prius is fine. Okay. The Camry's the other car. We actually, we had a Honda CRV, but uh, Sadie's got it up at college. Okay. So the other Camry was Jake's car, but he doesn't have a car because he's in the city. So that's our second car. Yeah. And it smells a little bit like sweat and weed. But, uh, <laughs> I find that acceptable. <laughs> <laughs>